Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is June 11th, 2019. I am your host, Eric Clark, and uh, welcome back to another episode. I've had a bit of scotch tonight, and this is take two. Um, So on today's show, we bring on guest Shane Simpson with the Cali Chronicles. And uh, we talk about how he trained Callie, the um, blue tick hound. I think I'm getting the breed right. And we talk about why that was the breed that he chose specifically, um, being in the Midwest and, and, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota. In any event, it's a pretty interesting topic, you know, as a hunter to know when you should call in the dogs, so to speak. You know, when's a good time to call in a dog tracker and the dog's um, is it right after the, the shot? Did you go track for a little bit? You know, we answer these questions on the show and uh, kind of dig in pretty deep as to, you know, what that looks like and what it goes into to train a dog to, to do such a thing as track your specific deer, not just any deer, but your deer. So it's it's a fun episode. It's very interesting. I think it was a topic that was requested by um, you, the listeners. So I'm I'm glad that I was able to, to deliver here. Anyway, um, I'll go ahead and bring on our guest. Looks like we are live on Facebook. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast live broadcast, the live listener call-in show. This is your show. Um, this is the show that does connect public land hunters, as I like to say, or public land hunting enthusiasts. And I do want to make a quick call out before we bring our guest on and introduce him. If you look on the screen and you see on the left this delicious-looking coffee beans, um, it's from Backwoods Grind Coffee. That's what powers the podcast. Their stuff is delicious. This isn't your foo-foo Starbucks kind of coffee. This is the coffee that your grandpa used to drink. Specifically, this is what Backwoods Grind Coffee has to say about how their coffee tastes from episode 79. We like we like to say uh, that our coffee is what you used to drink with your grandpa. It's going to taste like it, and it's super good. And it, it'll, do, it'll get the job done. So anyway, take a look at that. There's a discount code there for 10% off. It's W2H Podcast if you're interested to try them out. I highly recommend it. Um, that being said, we'll go ahead and bring our guest of the week on. Uh, today with us with the Cali Chronicles, we have Shane Simpson on the line. Shane, how are you doing, man? Doing good. Pretty good. Uh, a little tired, uh, but uh, I'll make it. <laughs> yeah, you've been driving a lot today, it sounds like. Yeah, been driving since daybreak. I finally got out of the car about an hour ago. So <clears throat> I'm more, uh, my legs are more tired than, than anything else, just being cramped up like that. 
then you just jumped right onto the Where to Hunt podcast. So I, dude, it means a lot. Any, I'm so humbled by anybody that takes time to be on the show. Um, this is a fun topic for me, one that I've never done. You were referred to me through um, a podcast hunting group, and uh, I think it was Mike Hebe, as you reminded me, that had mentioned that you'd be a great guest to talk to you about deer tracking dogs. So I'm I'm pretty jacked to have you on. I've not had to use a tracking dog yet, but it sounds like they they work. Yeah, um, even if you don't actually need one, they're they're fun to watch work. I mean, I've I've done some tracks, especially early on with uh, with my dog Callie on tracks where we didn't really need a deer. It was more of a just to confirm she's up to the task or didn't need a dog. Uh, just to confirm yep. she's up to the task, and, and, and it's just fun to watch her work and, and follow a, a basically an invisible line that, you know, obviously we can't see and that's that sit trail. So it's fun to watch them work. That's crazy. Well, why don't we just start off by uh, building some credibility here. Tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Um, do you hunt public or private land, all that good kind of stuff? How long have you been hunting for? All right. Um, my name is Shane Simpson, of course. Um, I'm originally from South Carolina. Uh, moved up to Minnesota 11 years ago. Been hunting for over 30 years. Majority of that on public. Um, we used to have private land when I was younger. My my dad sold the property when I was real young. So right out of the gate, I was basically forced to start hunting public land. Um, I, I do hunt private a little bit here and there. I've got gained access over the past few years living up here to some friends that have private. But I still... I still love hunting public for some reason. It's just it's a kind of that little challenge that I enjoy. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I really love turkey hunting, and a lot of people, if they know who I am, I produce a turkey hunting show called Calling All Turkeys. It's on YouTube. Um, been doing that for quite a while now, um, at least 10 years. Um, let's see. How did I get into hunting? Um, my... My brother was kind of an inspiration for that early on, and uh, I just ha- always had a love for it. So I've been doing it ever since. I mainly bow hunt for deer, uh, shotgun for turkey. Occasionally, I bow hunt for turkey. Um, what else do you need to know? <laughs> That's good, man. I mean, so you've been hunting public land. Sounds like you were forced to do it, but it turns out you actually love it, which is a common thread that I hear on this show. That's all I hunt. By and large, I might get access to private property like from time to time every other year, maybe like for a single hunt or something. But, you know, really I'm out trying to, you know, pound the pavement on the public property as much as possible. And the challenge is really exciting, you know? Yeah. The, the, the appeal for me, I think mostly is uh, when you get permission for private, a lot of times it's, you know, a couple hundred acres, sometimes a little bit bigger. So you don't have a huge amount to work with, especially when the way I turkey hunt, I like to cover a lot of ground trying to find uh, gobblers, but also yep. that, you don't have to ask anybody or check with anybody ever when you go to public. You just go to where you want to go, and you have public everywhere. So I can hunt this side of the state. I can hop across state line. And, you know, I'll have all these. Everyone has all these properties. And and I enjoy these big chunks like in southern Minnesota. I hunt a place. I think it's like 20, 27,000. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. It's 20-something thousand acres. I mean, so it's mm-hmm. a huge chunk that you can run around on. So. That's kind of the biggest appeal for me. Of course, you got other hunters to deal with, but you know that's a small price to pay to have all that land at your, you know, disposal. Right. No, I mean that is uh, one of the challenges, and it makes it tougher. But 
I think I was talking last week and saying that uh, you know 90% of scouting is just trying to get away from other hunters, let alone try to find the yeah. deer. That's a made-up statistic, but that's what it feels like. You know? Yeah, I think I spend most of my time when I'm scouting looking at satellite images is where can I go that's going to make it difficult for someone else to access. I think that's the main thing I look for first. And then I start figuring out, okay, where am I going to find deer or turkey? Right, right. Well, let's um, – I guess we'll kind of dive in. If anybody wants to call into the show to ask questions or, or give input or, or what have you, um, topic of the week is I, I titled it something. I always try to do some kind of maybe you know play on words or punny, but um, you know when to call on the dog, so to speak. So you know with the maybe start off just by unpacking a little bit about what the the Cali Chronicles are and how you got into that. How did you get into you know working the dogs and, and using them for deer tracking? Like what was the the start to that lifestyle like for you? Oh, I, I don't know initially where I got the thinking about. It. I know down south in South Carolina, they they actually can use dogs to hunt deer, so it was never a, a problem with using deer to find uh, or find, using dogs to find deer. Um, but I don't think I gave it much thought back then. When I when we were looking for deer, we just tracked the deer, and and I lost a few over the course of the years, you know, here and there. Not not a great deal, just a few, but um. At some point, I got to thinking about it. You know, it would be cool to have a tracking dog. But I went on a media hunt, um, a turkey hunt with some fellow, uh, some outdoor riders and this and that in Illinois. And at this uh, at this lodge or this um, outfitter, there was a guy named Tracker John that, that had residence uh, next door. So whenever okay. some of the, the guests would come in, they'd lose a deer, he'd bring out his dogs. And we'd sit there at night. You know, this is during turkey season now, so he wasn't tracking them. But we'd sit around in, in the evening, and he would just tell these tracking stories, and they were so captivating. And I, and I asked him, I don't know how many times, I was like, man, you need to be recording this and videoing it. People just love to watch this. And uh, he, he just didn't have any interest in that. And um, I was like, I got to get me a tracking dog. It just sounds like too much fun, you know. Of course, you you you, got, you can't look at it the bad side of. It. I mean, it's, it's not I'm ignoring that part of it. You're you're trying to locate a deer, but the fact that you're working with a dog and watching it work that's enjoyable to me. And um, it wasn't until I I got back home. It was probably a, two seasons later. I had a buddy that I was filming uh, deer hunt, and he shot a deer and hit it right in the shoulder, and it didn't get much penetration. We tried to round up some people to help us grid search the next morning, and that was a lost cause. We ended up just being three of us, me and him and one of his employees, and we didn't find that deer. Well, right then I decided I'm getting a dog. I'm not um, going to watch another deer be lost because of, you know, our lack, uh, lack of blood. You know, this deer didn't bleed hardly any at all, and then we lost the blood trail. Um, I ended up getting trail cam video of this deer two weeks later. I purposely put trail cam pictures in the area just to see, and sure enough, he showed back up on camera, and you could see the scab on his shoulder. He he survived. So I was grateful for that. Wow. But that was kind of the breaking point. And I, it, since I started the Cali Chronicles, I've gotten a lot of pictures and video back from hunters I've tracked for of deer still alive weeks, months later. One guy, um, I didn't find out until a year later that he actually got trail cam pictures. He never contacted me. But... um. So deer are very tough animals, but that was kind of the start for me. I was like, I got to get me a tracking dog. So then I got on, you know, started Googling stuff. I found the United Blood Trackers. I joined their Facebook 
uh, I joined their membership, uh, their organization, even without a dog, just so I can get started asking questions and doing that sort of thing. And uh, and then I got a dog, and and uh, I I picked Callie uh, specifically because of her height. You know, there's a lot of dogs that you can use for tracking deer. Uh, a lot of them yep. use the small wire hair Dotsons, and um, they're very popular in Germany, I think, in Europe. And so a lot of them over here use those dogs. And, and I think farther south you get a lot more hounds. But with all the water here in Wisconsin and Minnesota, and Minnesota just legalized it, by the way, and, and I was anticipating that also. But I've been doing most of my tracking in Wisconsin. But with all the water, I wanted a dog tall enough to get through the marshes and swamps because when I asked them how the other trackers deal with water with the little dogs, they usually – their answer was they usually carry them across a marsh or swamp to the other side and try to pick up the trail again. I didn't want that. I wanted a dog that could walk through the water or at least swim if it was you know, deeper. So that's how what led me to her. She's a blue tick coonhound. A blue tick. Okay. I was doing a bit of research, you know, in preparation for today's show, and I, someone had said something just like that. We're like, I, these hunters would call me, and I'd show these tiny little, I don't know if they were dachshunds or something like that, really small hounds that would fit in their, their arm, yeah. you know? like a football and yep. it's like these people would kind of like, give me this look like, are you freaking serious? And then they would watch the dogs go and they go, okay, yep. This dog, this dog means business, but it's interesting. You know, you think of, I, I think of tracking dog traditionally in my mind just goes a bloodhound. Um, yeah. you know, and you got a blue tick, a blue tick coonhound. You said, um, you know, how did you short, height was one of the main factors, but what else did you have to learn about the breed to make that decision? Well, when I was asking some of the, the veteran trackers, they, they kind of steered me into a dog that, you know, has a good sense of smell. And the hound was, you know, referenced as one of them. And obviously, to me, I think a lot of people think of, like, bloodhound or tracking, police use hounds and maybe German shepherds or stuff like that. A lab would work. Um, and in hindsight... <laughs> I almost wish I'd gotten a smaller dog because the smaller dogs, you know, are easier to handle. You know, they, they're slower, and you got to deal with water sometimes if you're in a uh, an area like Minnesota, Wisconsin, has a lot of marshes and swamps. But when you're trying to go through the woods, if you, you watch any of my Tally Chronicles videos, she pulls me through the woods. She, when she's ready to go, it's a chore just to hold her back. And obviously, oh, sure. yeah, that could that comes back to training. So I've apparently done a bad job of training her not to fool me. Um, um, but yeah, she's, she's a great tracking dog. It's just because of her size, she is a chore to work with sometimes. And, uh, and she, she's gotten, as she gets older, she's starting to learn to, to obey me more and more. She's, she's still a young dog. She's three years old. I think now I, I better go check that. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I think Time she's in her third I think she's in a she's in going into her third tracking season. So she I think she turns three this September. So how much time do you have to spend with 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 Callie? You know to to train her. Like how, it, some of it's instincts, right, based on the breed and, and and like their ability to to send track. But how how does that training process begin? You know how do you get them to know what to look for? Well, I'll be honest, with Callie, it was fairly easy training her. I, I've got extremely lucky. Um, I've trained a, a few dogs in my life, not many. I had a lab when I was younger. I trained for uh, duck hunting. Um, but with Callie, I got her. She was like eight weeks old. First thing I introduced her to was a little piece of deer hide. 
uh, I would drag it around the house and play with her with it. Um, then I got a, um, you know, I would train her with like a, a raw beef liver, tie a string around it, drag it through the, the, the yard, you know, and let her find it right away. Like as soon as I got through dragging it and hiding it, I would bring her out while the scent trail was fresh and she'd find that beef liver and she'd want to eat it. Um, so, and then I would play with, um, play with her with a, a deer leg. I kept, I had some of the stuff in the freezer I got from friends and stuff from deer season. And, um, you know, let her play with the leg and, and expose her to all that deer scent and, and let her have beef liver. And, and so it was pretty easy at first just doing those easy tracks like that, dragging something while the scent's really fresh. And then as time went on, each week I'd do at least one track with her. And I would start extending the length of it. Then I would start extending the um, the age of the track. Like I would go lay the track, say, this evening, and then bring her back out tomorrow morning. It's 12 hours old. Then I would extend it a little farther. It's tough on a young dog. Um, so she had a a lot of, you know, trial and error and mistakes and, and whatnot. But um, she was pretty eager to to follow that scent trail because she knew what was at the end of it. A lot of times I had a little Tupperware container with some beef liver in it. And when she found the, the leg, she would get the liver. And so and just really, it's the, it's yeah, the Pavlov's dog kind of mentality. Like you do this thing and you get the reward, you get the treat. So now exactly. she seems to have associated, if I follow the scent, I get the reward. Yeah. And she got to the point she didn't care about the beef liver anymore. I mean, she would just grab it and eat it real quick, but she wanted that deer leg. And she <laughs> she would carry it, carry it right back to the truck, and on the way home from a, a track training track, she would you could hear back there crunching this deer leg, and she would eat the entire leg, hoof, hair, you know, all, what little meat was on it, and within two or three days, there was not even any bones left. She ate the entire leg, bones and all. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize <laughs> that, that a domesticated dog could do that. That's nuts. Oh yeah, she used to hear cracking these bones, and uh, she's very possessive too. She she kind of growls at me a little bit, but she knows I'm the I'm the alpha male, and so I can go up there and just take it from her. But if like my daughter goes up there to try to take it, she's not going to put up with it. She won't bite or anything, but she'll grab her leg and run off. She won't let her get close <laughs> to it. No, it's my bone. You can't have it. I worked hard yeah. for this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Holy cow. So I will, I will. go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, please. I was going to say, I, I will add this, that after her first tracking season, the following summer or last summer, I couldn't get her to track during training tracks. I almost thought she would forgotten what she was doing because she hadn't tracked in six months. I was turkey hunting, and, and it wasn't until the summer before I got her doing her training track again, and she just was horrible at it. She just It almost looked like she didn't care to do it. And I talked to some of the veteran trackers, and they said after they do – their first season of real tracking, they learn that those training tracks are fake and there's not a deer at the end of it. And so they don't really care to do them. And so I was still nervous and I wasn't sure if I believed them, but we went right back into deer season and she she did better than she did the first year. And I'm like, yeah, she knows wow. what she's doing. She just didn't care to do those training tracks. And I'm going to try and get her out this summer. I'm going to start here probably tomorrow or the next day and lay a training track and see how she does. Um, but I don't know. Well, I, I, she knows what to do during the actual season, but training, she doesn't seem to care about it anymore. I think it's it's really cool to see them work like that. You know, 
I, so for a brief moment in time, I had a bloodhound. Um, you scroll back far enough on the where to hunt social stuff, you'll see him. His name we called him Copper. But when my when we were expecting our first child, who's now two, um, our daughter Logan, she, I think the dog sensed that my wife was pregnant, so he got really aggressive with her and cornered her and, and bit her. And so that was pretty scary. Bloodhounds aren't small dogs; they're, they're pretty large. And uh, he had no problem with me. I was alpha, but he's not like my wife. And so, you know, we just rehomed him, unfortunately. But, you know, we used to play this game. We'd call it, we'd just say, find it. You know, we'd lock, we'd lock him in a room for a second, hide a couple of treats in some pretty pretty difficult spots, and he would get them. And he got really quick at it, too. And it was, I almost wondered how much it was was memory of, like, okay, I know these spots now versus his, his nose and scent abilities. But it was it was really cool to see him to to see him do that. And you could tell, like, that was really positive brain activity for him. It was almost like a mental workout. Like the dog lived to do that stuff, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can, uh, like Callie, you can, she knows that we use the same word, the same word combination, find it. And, um, and she knows that's time to get down to work. But the word mission is also what we use. Like when we're getting ready to go on a track, she knows, she can see me get my stuff go. She knows what's going on, but I can say, you want to go on a mission? And she hears that word mission and her head perks up and she starts wagging that tail and going crazy. And, you know, the word fishing sounds a lot like it. And so sometimes my daughter would say, I, I want to go fishing. And <laughs> she starts getting excited. I'm like, I'm be careful. <laughs> oh, no. But it's, it's, it's fun to watch them. That's cool. That's super cool. So, um, you know, I, I have a whole bunch of questions here. Well, we're not going to go through them maybe in chronological order, or maybe we could. But, um, you know, I, I guess the one question I had is, I'm assuming you're for hire. Is that is that an accurate statement? Like if I were to say, hey, you know, Shane, I, I was looking at, you know, I had an issue. I, I got a deer, you know, I need you to come out with Cali. You know, what do you, what do you charge? Um, maybe don't tell me that, but maybe tell me if you do or don't charge, um, you know, for that type of service. Well, the, the first year I didn't charge anything. Uh, and then I, I quickly changed that to $25 just to cover my fuel. Um, okay. And then, and then I increased that a little bit because I was getting calls for, tra- I was trying to take every track I could. And I increased that to $40 just because I would, I would go on a track and I'd have two of them in the same direction. I may go farther than I should have. And then one guy would cancel, one person would cancel. And I would basically spend more in fuel than I got from the person to go there for the, for one person. You know, it became, a, it almost, in- the reason I increased it was basically a deterrent for people that would call haphazardly. Oh, it's only $25 or whatever, you know, and then cancel. Or they'd call out there for a deer they knew most likely wasn't dead and just to run the dog on the track. Huh. And I would basically, you know, whenever you do that, there's someone else out there that needs a tractor that you may not be available for. Because there's only so many trackers, and it can get busy, especially as it gets close to the rut. There's calls are pouring in from all over the state there's people calling me from iowa even though you can't track legally down there and but distances like that because they can't find a tractor and because all of them are tied up and they're calling people from hours and hours away and offering to pay them you know large sums sometimes because they're desperate and when you when you got people that uh i'm not sure i killed or hit it but i'll call a dog it's only 25 dollars. so i kind of raised my rates for that so as it stands, I think I'm charging fifty dollars, and that's where I'm gonna stay at. Um, I'm not looking to, to get rich off this. I just like to cover my expenses to come out there, you know. And I I spend a minimum 
of two to three hours. You know, that's usually how long it takes me to thoroughly um, search with the dog before I, I, I kind of rule it out as a lethal hit. Now, sometimes it can be quicker than that. I mean, if Callie is tracking, I can usually tell that she's following the deer, um, especially if we find a drop of blood or some sign. If a, if a deer is actually mortally hit and dead, we usually find it in, in like 10 or 15 minutes. I mean, it doesn't take long at all. It, it's crazy. those ones that, yeah, we, it's those ones we, we jump or the deer, um, was jumped by the hunter and on the second bedding and then, you know, when they shouldn't have been tracking it and the deer's gone a mile or two. Now your, your, your dog doesn't always follow the same, the, the track you need to. She'll jump tracks sometimes and it's only by accident. Um, but, I mean, so sometimes I make sure that the the person I'm tracking for realizes I'm giving my my best effort. Even like an hour into the track, I know we're not probably going to find this deer. I keep. But they don't know. They've ne- maybe they've never experienced that, and and you don't yeah. want to call. Yeah, that's. I mean, man, for so Tyler Tyler um, Maiden just commented in the post and said, if I had a deer, I'd pay more than fifty dollars to find it. Um, yeah. I know that from what you just said, it's not a get rich thing or anything like that at all, but. Um, man, that's I mean, super affordable. People, I think. Yeah, most people will like they when they ask. Some people don't even ask me what I charge. Like they call me up and say, "Can you come out here?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll 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 be there in forty-five minutes." And I get there and I find the deer or whatever, and they say, "How much do you charge?" It's like fifty dollars or forty dollars to cover my field. Oh no, 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 no. And you know they may pull out two hundred dollars and say, here you go. And and I've tried to give it back on several occasions, and they just like nope. And you know, kind of stick their hands in the pocket and won't hit and give it back. Um, so I mean, they they obviously are grateful that the dog found it and appreciate the effort. And, but like I said, I'm not trying to get rich off this. I I enjoy it. it's like going deer hunting. You know, you enjoy doing that, and you're you you'll put fuel in your truck and you'll buy equipment for that, and you're not getting paid to do that because you enjoy sure. doing it. And so I enjoy tracking. It is work uh, on a lot of times, especially if I get into the bluff country of Wisconsin. Those hmm. hills are will kill you. But yeah, um, I hunt Grand County. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And my legs are like jello after climbing those hills back and forth and my and Cali's still going strong and I'm like, if you gotta slow slow down, you're gonna kill me. But um <laughs> yeah, I I enjoy it. I mean I look forward to it a lot of times. I've I've had deer hunting plans and, and actually been driving to go deer hunting and someone calls and I'll I'll just whip it around and go back to the house and grab Cali. I could easily say, No, I'm out of town but I almost would rather track than, than actually deer hunt sometimes. That's really it's, something, uh, man. That's the intrinsic like reward that you get from doing that to helping people is just got to feel so great and to be a part of that. Yeah. I mean, you should see, I got some of the reaction calls on video from this past year, but, you know, I have a two way radio and I radio up to the person, I'm like, I got you deer. And they, you know, they're like, you know, you got to be kidding me. Sometimes I have to bleep out what to say. I mean, they're so. Astonished and excited. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah, that's so cool. So found. cool. Yeah, there was one I found last year. The deer was 300 yards in the opposite direction they thought the deer was going, and they were still searching, kind of grid searching in the opposite direction. And we found it about 300 yards the other way, and and they were like, "That is unbelievable. That's crazy." You know, <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the thing about it too. Plus, you learn so much as a tracker about deer, uh, their behaviors after a shot, what they tend to do. Um, it's, it's real eye opener. That's for sure. So 
You mentioned that, you know, it's not legal in Iowa to track deer with a dog. One of the questions that came through on Instagram was, you know, why do you think, let me see if I can, I'll just find it here really quick. Um, Cause I, I would like to ask that. Why is there an opposition to using tracking dogs? And why do you think that is? And clearly that shows in the law, right? Um, I can't speak for Iowa, but I think it's probably on same, along the same lines as Minnesota. And I'll tell you what happened in Minnesota. Minnesota passed this law uh, many years ago that you couldn't use dogs or horses to take big game. And when they worded that, they, were, they didn't think about tracking deer with a dog. It was only because they didn't want people hunting deer with a dog or riding on horseback to hunt deer is why they made that rule. Because of the wording, we couldn't track in Minnesota. So basically, we've been, the last two years, we've been working on getting that wording changed. To, you know, you can't take big game with a dog, of course, except a leash dog may be used to track a suspected wounded deer or whatever. Um, some of the opposition to us passing that was a lot of people... Is, is, I don't want to talk bad about it, but they just they just weren't thinking clearly. I, I think was the problem. They thought people were going to abuse it and start hunting deer with dogs, even if they legalize leash tracking dogs. Well, I mean that's Binge the case now. You can abuse it. Yeah, you can abuse it with a with a pheasant dog. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know where it's coming from, and I've seen it on some of the forums in Iowa. That seems to be some of the same line of thinking there. They're afraid people are going to abuse it. And you're going to have people in Iowa shooting big bucks because they're using a dog to follow them to the bed or, or do whatever. But you can already do that, I mean, if you want to illegally. But if someone's going to abuse the law or break the law, they're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, I believe that to the core. So that's interesting. I mean, Why do you think do you think there's any hunters that have opposition to it? Like so the, and I have a follow up question for that that'll that'll, you know, tie back to that. Um, you know, but well, that's where I'm a hunter. I just don't see anything wrong with it. Yeah, that's where most of the opposition comes from, hunters, fellow hunters. Um, the the non-hunting public, if you were to tell them, okay, this is what we'd like to do, they would go, well, of course, that just makes sense, you know. I'm not a hunter, but I think if you wanted to find a deer, they don't think about the hunting deer with dogs aspect. It's usually the, the hunters, and I'll say it's mostly archery hunters, it seems to me. Now, that's just kind of my feel on things. It seems to be more so archery hunters and i think that's why it failed in iowa because they were trying to pass it they almost passed it and at the last second it failed and i think i think most of it says the archery hunters or bow hunters i'm a bow hunter too so i can i can <laughs> people shouldn't attack me i'm a bow hunter but and i i get the sense that it's usually the bow hunters that are the ones that oppose it now in minnesota overwhelmingly Hunters in general, bow hunters and gun hunters and whoever else supported it. But the ones that didn't support it usually were um, archery hunters, seem like. Okay. And so that being said, you know, this is these are some of the, the, the meat of the questions that I was excited to get to. You know, you, you talked about when you're training Callie, you know, extending the hours of time before you would let her go track a, a scent that you were laying down. Um how long should someone wait before even considering calling you, you know, to get you out there after that shot is placed? So if I, if I let her rip and, you know, I'm not real confident that I got it, you know, should I, should I just, you know, wait 
and, and or should I call right away and say, I think I took a bad shot. You know, what should I do? Am I asking you for that advice or am I getting down tracking and going, ah, crap, I can't find it. Now I'm going to call. I was finding well, a I bit would, of different, would, you know, pieces of research on that. Well, I would suggest you, if you have any question at all, you call a tracker right away. You don't have to hire them. And most trackers would rather you call them and just get their opinion rather than posting all over Facebook and getting a, a lot of opinions. Because I see it all the time. Um, I shot a deer, I'm not sure of the shot, um, what should I do? You know, and you see a lot of people, oh, just wait two hours and he's dead, go get him. You know, and I'm like, oh, no, that's the, the, the worst thing you could do. If you don't have blood and you're not sure the hit and 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 it's a something where you can afford a tracking dog, you know, some trackers charge, you know, a couple hundred bucks. So that may not be an option for you. Right. But I know if I was a hunter and – and someone was close to me charging forty or fifty dollars to find a deer, doe or buck, and I thought it was a, a gut shot or I wasn't sure of the hit. Um, I'm gonna back out. I'm gonna call them n- number one and just get their advice. And then, you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna lie to you just to take the track. They're 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 gonna give you their honest opinion of where they think the deer is, um, or, or where you know what they think the situation is and what you should do. I've had. People call me and give me some input on a on a deer uh, hit, and I I told one fellow I said you know what uh, give it overnight I said go in the direction you found it or you saw the deer run this was in Minnesota so I couldn't track it for him I said but if you go in the direction you saw that deer run last where it went out of sight I bet you'll find that deer within a hundred yards because the person never tracked it they got they were in their stand when they called me. And I was, and oh yeah, it was okay. A guy. And I was like, just just slip out of there, go back in the next morning where you last saw, and you'll find it within 100 yards. And that's exactly what they did. They found it like 50 yards past where they last saw it, bedded down, found it in its first bed. So I mean, you can call a tracker and get their advice. Um, anytime there's a questionable shot, and uh, you know, even if you want to just go into United Blood Tracker's Facebook page and 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 ask the question, look, this is where I think I hit the deer. Um, this is what time I hit it. I, you know, give some details. It was a pass through, blah blah blah. Um, they will give you free advice. You don't have to call the tracker. Um, but anytime you have a questionable shot or you're worried about the recovery, you know, feel free to give them a call. At least discuss it with them. That's good to know. I mean, that's one thing where, like you said, there's a lot of opinions. You know, and in some of the readings that I was doing, it was stating like, well, before you invite all your buddies out and there's that's five the of you looking thing. for a deer, you know, <laughs> then you're they ruin the, 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 the odds of that dog getting on that trail effectively because you've just yeah, mucked it, up the scent. Like uh, to me, I was almost thinking of it like a crime scene, you know, don't contaminate the crime scene and, and just exactly. get one of you guys on the phone right away. If you're if you're questioning, you know, the shot placement and, and what had taken place. Yeah, if it gets to the point that you are considering a grid search with your buddies, call a tracking dog. A grid search should be the final thing you ever do. Dogs should always come before a grid search. I mean, obviously there's going to be cases where you can't get a tracker or you can't afford it or whatever, and that's something you got to do. But if if all those aside, grid search should be the final thing you always do. You should never grid search before you can get a dog in there. And and the biggest thing is always mark at least last blood. I like when people mark the blood trail. So when you bring a dog in there, I can start it, you know, back down the trail 
I can see your tissue on the trail. I know that the dog's locked onto the specific deer we are tracking and not just running through the woods. And yeah. But at the very least, mark last blood with something highly visible so that when the tracker gets to last blood, you, we we know we're on our on our own at this point, or so we can re- get to last blood after the uh, tracker arrives. There, there's been several occasions occasions where a person called me and we go to to last blood and they marked it with a camouflaged hat or something along those lines or something not highly visible. And we spent 30 minutes looking for the last blood spot because they marked it with a stick or a hat, <laughs> you know, camouflaged hat. <laughs> Mark it well. Yeah, or- and then just back out. Yeah. Well, sticks not going to do much good either. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. That's something. Yeah. These are good points to, to think about. And, and marking that last spot's really good, too. You know, I, I, I've, my dad and I have tracked deer that, that weren't ours. And you know, we crossed bloodstreams and, and, you know, started tracking a different deer. Didn't realize it. And we tracked ourselves to a, a gut pile. You know, we're like, wait, what? You know, it was, it was a little rainy. So we thought maybe the blood might have just looked fresher because it was all wet again or something. But, you know, I can imagine that you want to be on the correct scent. So marking yours is very important because, you know, come November specifically, like with gun, there's a lot of hunters in the woods. There's, there's deer all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know how they're tracking the deer, correct? They're they're not just tracking deer scent. They're tracking a specific deer. So when, when we're training them, you know, the inner digital glands in the, between the deer's hooves and uh, other, you know, just like people smell different, deer smell different between individuals. And Callie can pick up an individual deer, just like any other tracking dog. They're trained that way. Um, they're not tracking blood per se. The blood helps them. Blood mainly helps the tracker or, or the handler so we know we're on the, the wounded deer. But without blood at all, they're tracking the scent of a deer so there can be six deer there if i get her locked on the deer we are wanting to try to find she will stick to that deer no matter if she intersects other deer trails or not god that's crazy how i don't know if you have the answer to this question or not but how comparable is the dog's nose to a deer's oh i don't know i don't know the science or the, the all that all that technical information like that. I imagine it's probably very similar. You know, just like a deer can follow a doe that's in heat, she can he can follow that um, that buck can follow that specific doe. Um, he's not. I, I imagine he's not just following the the estrus scent. He's probably follow, following her individual gland scent also. Once he locks in, okay, this is a doe I want to follow. Same way with the dog. So I I gotta imagine, you know, they can't be far apart from their capabilities. No, maybe that's someone, maybe, that's somebody somebody with some was, maybe somebody with we'll some know-how about that that subject will comment. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. You know, and, and know it's much better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, and I've had people talking about the ear scent before and how they can, you know, they communicate through scrapes and, and things like that. Like they know that it was, let's just say, it was Susie, right? They know Susie was the deer that did that and that she was there. You know, maybe not an hour's time, but knows that it was the morning time or what have you, you know, where these deer really know what these deer are trying to communicate through their, to their scrapes. So and identifying which deer are specifically, which ones, it's interesting that the dog can do something similar with the quote unquote locks onto that scent. That's like the fear of mine when I had our bloodhound was that, you know, he would run off and just start tracking something randomly because he was obsessive about it. 
And once they lock on, that's it. You know, I thought I'd, I'd lose my dog because um, they just they just want to go get whatever that is that they found in their mind. And they, the way that I heard it described, it's almost like, how, how was it? It was really interesting. Like once they lock on to a scent, it's, it almost becomes like sight. Like they can see what needs to happen in their mind's eye or something. I don't remember the analogy, yeah, but it was really, it was really interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of an analogy I use a lot of people also. I, um, when they're they're talking about how long a citra will last, and I was like, okay, you, you got to imagine. Let's say if, if I took a a chalk line, you know, uh, like they lay down the chalk lines for a football field. You know, imagine yeah. that's the citra, and we can vis- visibly see that chalk line. Then you get a little bit of wind; it starts blowing that chalk around, and so now you you kind of spreading that scent around. Or you get, you know, and a lot of people ask, what about the rain? How come rain helps a dog? You know, a light rain after a deer's been shot will actually help, you know, that extra moisture. Um, the best I can give as an analogy is, you know, when you see pollen coming from the trees in the spring and you get a rain and that pollen pools up in little puddles, well, it kind of, yep. that's kind of the way I envision it. It's kind of, you know, bringing it up and you can, uh, and pulling it together in, in little batches. So it's not kind of spread out and it's faint. It's more concentrated. You know, visibly, we can see that. The dog, I think, their nose is their eyes as far as following scent. That's a good analogy. I like that quite a bit. Um, you talked about earlier, you know, in a potential example where you might, you know, if the dog was smaller and it can't get through water, you'd have to carry through. But, you know, Kelly is of a certain height, which was really intentional. Um insofar as making sure that she can get through water and things like that. What happens when a deer goes through water? It's just a matter of them picking a scent up on the other side? Yeah, well, the water that she's gone through, the only time we've gone through has been like cattail marsh and stuff. And so the deer's body's rubbed against cattails. So um, the one time I took her through water that was up to my thighs, and she had to swim. Well, her feet were just barely hitting the bottom. She's kind of leaping to stay up. But her head was stretched up, and she was smelling those cattails as she kind of went through the water until we got shallow enough water where she could wade through it. Um, so as far as just open water, um, I don't know. I guess we, I'd have to, at that point, I'd have to just take her to the other side and let her find the, the walk the bank on the other side. Um, there was, an, a, this brings up an interesting track I'd like to touch on. Last year, Yeah. Um, we cracked a deer. Uh, gosh, 1,100 yards, and she took us to a lake shore. And it was warm that day, and, and we had gone quite a ways without blood, and she finally took us to a, a wound bed. In a bed in there, we found blood in that bed, and I'm like, oh, we're back on the track. She's been following us here all along. Well, she, she took us kind of along a little road with houses and a tennis court and right into somebody's backyard and to a lake shore. And I thought she was thirsty. She was trying to get down to the edge of the water. And I looked around. I didn't see a deer. And she kept going down to the to the a bank that dropped off. She got on a little dock there. And I was like, are you thirsty? But she didn't try to drink any water. And we looked around. We walked that, that shore a little bit. And I told the guy kind of, you know, jokingly, I said, I think your deer jumped in the water and swam away. You know, and I wasn't really thinking that's what happened. I thought the deer maybe stopped there at the edge of the water maybe got a drink of water because it was, uh, I think it, it hit guts on the shot. Um, it actually was a lethal shot, um, but not a very lethal where it would put it down quickly. But I think it exited through the guts. I had to go back and look at it. I can't recall where exactly it hit. But 
Anyway, that was my thought. Maybe just went there to get water. Well, I think it was two days later, somebody at a local bar or something was talking about they found a deer washed up on their on their lakeshore property. And, Holy cow. And, yeah, so the, the bartender knew whose deer it was likely it was, and so she called him up, and he went there, and, and sure enough, there it was and with the arrow holes in it. And um, The only thing we can figure is the deer sank under the water, and she could smell the just like a cadaver dog, she could smell the scent coming up out of the water. That's crazy. It's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't find that deer that same day and salvage it. But she knew she. It impressed me that she took us right there to where we possibly could. I mean, that's as far as we could go. So what's the what's the cra- what's the craziest recovery story and/or the farthest that you've tracked a deer, to your knowledge? I mean, you said it takes. You know, in most cases, if it's if it's going well, it's ten to fifteen minutes, which blows my mind. Um, do you have any yeah. like? I mean, that one sounds pretty crazy in and of itself. Like, you know, yeah, that would rank right up there in the top two, I think, um, just because of how the the ter- chain of events that the person's yard it washed up into happened to be talking to a bartender that was friends with the hunter. <laughs> you know, so that was that yeah. was crazy in yeah. itself. Um, uh, I, I'll touch on the the quickest track for me I think was um gosh I'd, I'd go look at that too I think it was under a minute maybe 30 something seconds from the time I told her to find it and I was running behind her she um this was a pretty fresh track the guy that shot the deer it was kind of it snowed a little bit and it was a wet snow and it was kind of raining and wet snow mix at the time and it was a pretty big buck and he couldn't. He was having trouble finding blood because it's kind of watered down in, in the wet yeah. leaves. And, and so he called me up there, and um, I think I was on scene like three hours or four hours after he shot it. He told me it was a, he thought it was a good shot. And then that's her now barking. That's um, what's up, Kelly? <laughs> yes, I had the office door closed. She was like, "What are you doing in there? Open that door." Um, and, so anyway, I um I put her on the track and, and I she was running in thirty something seconds or a minute and and three seconds later we came up on the deer and um he did put a good shot on it and the deer only went uh, 150 yards or something like that but I mean we found we basically ran straight to the deer uh, the the longest track or the craziest one was in her first tracking season I wish I'd run the camera more on this I had a GoPro and I got I got frustrated with it getting tangled in the vine and stuff. I finally yanked it off my head and said, heck with this. But um, this was actually a buddy of mine who shot this deer. Um, the video is actually on my on the Cali Chronicles page. I interviewed him, and we go through the entire story. But I'll give you a brief rundown of it. We were supposed to go fishing on the next day. And... Uh, we were supposed to go turkey hunting the next day, and then he called me and said he shot deer, and he was having trouble finding out. So I went down there. We started it like 10 o'clock that evening, we tracked it quite a ways, lost blood. I let Callie and her off a few hundred yards. We found a drop of blood. We called it for the night. Next morning, we started again, um, tracked it, found a wound bed, tracked it farther. We went through trail cameras, past trail cameras. We got permission to check those. The deer wasn't on them. Um, continued tracking, found a drop of blood, ended up on the highway, um, followed the highway for a third of a mile. Long story short, we found that deer 1.3 miles away, 22 hours after it shot. And um, wow! Amazingly, amazingly, come here, girl. She doesn't like me standing still. 
I'm going to walk with her real quick while I talk to you. That sounds great. Amazingly, yeah. the, the deer was, uh, had been double-lunged and liver hit. Now, the, the one lung, it hit kind of far back. And the thing with lung hits, the farther back you hit it, the less lethal technically it is. I mean, it won't put them down as quick as, say, up towards the front of the lung where most of the blood vessels and, and whatnot are. Um, the the one lung that it, that it hit pretty good had a huge growth on it. It looked like some type of abnormality. I okay. Can't talk. <laughs> um, no, that's a tough you know one. There's certain words. I got the yeah. same thing. Yep. But um, anyway, we we theorized that that lung must have had something wrong with it anyway, and so that's it, it didn't really affect it by getting hit, hit with an arrow, and um, it was just the other lung that hit far back on it in the liver, and so it took you know six hours to kill it, and um. So that's why I was able to go so far. Plus, the hunter had jumped it once initially, at least once, one time. And, that you know, that gets their adrenaline going and they go farther. But, the, you know, we'd basically given up on that finding that deer uh, in our minds. But we still kept tracking because we'd find a speck of blood or something. But it had been, you know, like I said, a, a third of a mile down that road was the last drop of blood we found right before that road. So we went a third of a mile without any sign at all. And Callie cut into the swamp off the road, um, and that's where we ended up finding it, about 100 yards from the road in that, in that swamp. So I was shocked. <laughs> My dad, you know, lost a deer because it, you know, he had shot it, and and two had actually kicked up, and so it was a, a thing of confusion where your mind believed it was really one thing, but it was the other. And so hindsight yeah. was 2020, but he ended up tracking a deer that never died because he didn't shoot that one. And so then it totally yeah. confused the mind as to where the one he shot actually did end up. And it ended up in a marsh, um, you know, or so he thought anyways. And it was actually in the, like right on the edge of this marsh. But it was raining the next day when to go out. And, you know, as a result, the blood washed up and he couldn't find it. So it was later in the season where, um, you know, a cousin of mine was actually shed hunting and found my dad's deer. And luckily, it was in such a place that the mice didn't get to the antlers too bad and, he was able. This deer is now mounted, um, but never, never officially tagged. You know, and it would have been, you know, Pope and Young for sure, and a fourteen-point monster. And I, I got to oh, think nice. if you had had a tracking dog, it would have been, you know, a done deal. He would have, he would have got it, and um, you yeah, know, and didn't have, wouldn't have had, had those nightmares. <laughs> like, yeah, I think it was actually a fifty-pointer. Yeah, it, it was very lucky. Very lucky. It was disgusting and smelled wretched but you know he got it and you know it, it was it was what it was um yeah. you know we're, we're winding down here I, I i think you know i'd like to dig deeper i i might you know if the season allows and you're not so so swamped i'd love to get you back on the show but um maybe we can we can end with your most memorable hunt i just love asking everybody that question i think um just hearing what, now my what most makes memorable them. track with my most memorable hunt Yep. Track. Yep. Most memorable hunt. So not tracking hunting, but if they're intertwined, that's great. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever stands out in your mind. Oh, I've got a bunch of memorable hunts. Most of them are turkey hunts. Um, deer that's hunting. Okay. Is, deer hunting seems to be standard with me. It's like I put a stand up and deer comes by, I shoot it, and I find it. <laughs> um, I guess my most memorable turkey hunt because it's the freshest one would be my daughter's in Florida. Um, that video is on the Call on Turkey's Facebook page. Um, but uh, we went down to Florida, and she wanted to get an Osceola, and we had to hunt 
we applied for those special opportunity and those quota hunts. We didn't draw anything. So we were relegated to the general public hunting land, which if you know anything about trying to hunt Osceola's in Florida, that they can be, uh, it can be a real challenge down there. But we lucked up and we found an area that didn't have a didn't seem to have a whole bunch of pressure. We saw a few people hunting back in there, and um, we thought we heard a faint gobble, and we moved in on it. And my daughter, you know, kids like to sleep a lot when they have to get up early, so she <laughs> she was sitting right between my legs, and so I could kind of monitor and help her get safety off the gun and and try to film it at the same time. And we had heard a distant gobble, and we set up, and she went to sleep. She had she pulled my little knit cap over her eyes to block the light, and I'm like I'm sitting there thinking, what am I gonna do if a turkey comes up? You know, I gotta okay, I gotta get the hat off her head, get her eyes where she can see. I got to get her in position, make sure I'm recording it. And I just happened to look through a little hole in the bushes to my left, and I and to this day I didn't actually see a turkey. My I saw what looked like a white head of a turkey coming our way. And just a, as a precaution, I just, I just said, get up, one's coming our way. And she jumped up. I pulled the hat off. I had to, forgot about the safety. I had to reach and put the safety on. And out popped a turkey. And so, sure enough, I'd, I'd seen a turkey running our way, you know. And, and, and she made a good shot on it. So it was a crazy hunt and got our first Osceola's on the general public like everyone else can hunt. And so it was, it was pretty crazy, pretty memorable hunt. And, Got it all on video, which makes it even special because more special because we can go back and watch it whenever we want. Wow, that's awesome. So, I guess, what, tell me what an Osceola is because this is new for me. Uh, okay, so wild turkeys are subspecies, just like most animals are different subspecies. You know, like white-tailed deer, there's, you know, once in, I don't know all the names of the white-tailed. But, you know, like the ones up here are 250 pounds and thick hair in the winter and the ones down yeah. South Carolina, like key deer or whatever. Um, anyway, uh, wild turkey have subspecies also. The most prevalent one is the eastern wild turkey, which you find in eastern United States, um, except for in Florida. Uh, like, I guess about central Florida and farther south, there's a, a Osceola turkey, which looks like an eastern pretty much, but the wings are darker, more black in the wings. Uh, they're a little smaller, longer legs. Their spurs tend, tend to grow longer, quicker, and sharper. Uh, then you have like Miriam, Miriam's wild turkeys out west, South Dakota, Wyoming. Um, they have white tip feathers. Um, you got Rio Grande in the southwest, Texas, in that area, Oklahoma. They have a uh, more buff. Uh, or in between, say, eastern and the Miriam coloration. So it's okay. basically size and coloration for the most part, but they, they all look like turkeys. Yeah. Such subspecies. Okay. Yeah, and people you learn try something to new every day. All the subspecies. Yeah. So obviously you're not a turkey hunter or you don't do it much. No, I haven't. And, and I've had guests on the show. This is episode 84. I think I've talked about it five or six times. I just need someone to take me hunting for turkey. To be quite honest, I, I don't know, I don't know how to hunt them. I, you know, my dad taught me how to hunt whitetail, and that's how I learned. And turkey hunting, I've heard about it. I bought tags for you know when I've been in whitetail season. Um, you know, of course, I've seen every other time of my entire life hunting deer, and then the one year I buy tags for them, I, I don't see them. Um, but I've never gone out to just hunt turkey, and part of that's, you know 
I don't mean to be one with excuses, but I've certainly built in some excuses for turkey hunting. But one of the the big ones is that the season seems to be kind of confusing here in Wisconsin. We have a spring and a fall, and then there's different like, you know, groups or whatever. And that in and of itself seems where, to be confusing. Where are you located again? Yeah, I'm in south southeastern Wisconsin, so um, oh, Wisconsin. in Waukesha County. Oh, oh you're so in one of the best you. states in the nation to turkey hunt. <laughs> it's I'm a, I'm going to become a turkey hunter. It's going to happen. You know, it's it's just a matter yeah. of when, um, more or less. And all you got to do is get a hold of me. I hunt Wisconsin quite a bit. Well, then we'll have to do that. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't mind connecting that way and and just getting out together. You know, I love to learn, um, and especially outdoors, and it's fun. It's just a fun thing. And and from what I've heard, it's just really interactive and a really neat experience. With whitetail, you got to be quiet and stealthy and watch your scent and play the wind. And with turkey, you know, I I from what I understand, you have to really be mindful of their vision. And and try to get them in. And uh, yeah, so. the the thing with turkey, depending on your style of hunting, I know a lot of people like to, to go to set up somewhere and, and make calls, or especially if you got a farm or something in Wisconsin with open fields. That, you know, that's a good tactic to use. But my my style that I prefer is the more of the strategy. Like you get on public and you hear one. You you're trying to move in position. You may not call this time because you don't want them to know you're coming to get in position. Or you may, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. We could talk about that later, but it, I mean, there's there's a lot of strategies sometimes that can go into play, and you're communicating with them. They're communicating back, and so those, that's a huge appeal right there. Where instead of like with deer hunting, you just basically try to figure out where they're going to walk and then go set up and wait. You know. So it, yeah, it, it sounds it's like really, it's a totally different kind of um, beast or, or what have you. But one yeah. that sounds really fun, and it sounds like elk is like the the culmination of like the combination of deer and turkey. Yeah, yeah, it's turkey hunting with a a lot more meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that's funny. That's a good way to look at it. Um, well, that that's exciting stuff. I mean, I, I appreciate you know you taking time out of you know I know you're on the road all day, um, and and then you just jumped right on this. So it means a ton to me that you that you took time to be on the show. I certainly learned a whole bunch. I'd like you to just recap, you know, where where people can find you. So when we get into the season in September and October, November, and into the rut, you know, between October and, and such, I'd like to know um, for people to know how they can get in touch with you. Well, um, you can find me easily on Facebook. You know, you just look up my name, Shane Simpson, um, or you can go to the, the Cali Chronicles, that all three words, the Cali Chronicles Facebook page. Um, if you have any questions about tracking or whatever, um, you feel free to do it now. Um, that's the one thing I always tell people is even if you don't think you're going to need a tracker, go ahead and find out who your trackers are in your in your area. And not all of them are listed. You can go to the unitedbloodtrackers.org or .com. Either one will take you to the United Blood Trackers website. Um, you can find local trackers there. But also do a Google search. Some some trackers are not necessarily members of the United Blood Trackers, but have those numbers in your phone because if you're out there deer hunting and you're in an area without good cell service where you, or internet service where you can look up that stuff, you may still have enough cell service to make a call at least, and that way you're not trying to struggle uh, at that point. Um, and also, um, I, I won't go into all the detail now, but there's some things you should know when you're out there deer hunting, steps to take. And a lot of people already know this stuff, you know, you know, when does, when should you call a tracker, how to treat the blood trail, you know, the signs to look, where you hit the deer, what you should do next. You know, you can go on, like, the Cali Problems, you can ask me, you can go to the United Blood Trackers Facebook page, you can ask those sort of questions. You know, 
do it now and not when you're after you've already released the arrows. And now's the time for <laughs> figuring all that out. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, Having Facebook's that stuff kind of ready to go. Yeah, but Facebook's probably the easiest place to find me and, and communicate me, with me. And I'd prefer you just message me through my personal page because um, sometimes those uh, uh, group pages or pages like the Cali Chronicles, sometimes those messages don't get to me right away, uh, however Facebook treats them. But if you want to just shoot me a message on my personal Facebook page and ask about it, I'll, I'll be willing to answer uh, just about any question that comes across. That's great. And, and like I said, you know, depending on how busy the season gets, I'd love to have you back on and di- dive in deeper and maybe hear some stories in season. Or, you know, obviously now that you're, you have an introduction to the Where to Hunt podcast, you're welcome to call into the show anytime. You know, if you hear someone talking about something like that and you want to tune in and just give us a jingle and pop in, you know, feel free to do that too. But, you know, thanks so much for, for being a guest today. It, it means so much to me and, and to the audience and listeners. You were, you were requested and summoned, so um, you'll be happy to deliver that message back to the forum and say we did it. You know, we got you on, and, and we had a great we had a great discussion. Yeah, your your best bet of getting a hold of me again once tracking or deer season starts is um try to do it before the rut kicks in. When that when that <laughs> happens, I'm on the road nonstop, and and I I barely have you know time to even answer the phone. I most of the, I just send it, get people to just text me, and then I'll get to them when I can. I mean, it gets that hectic, but um, October should be okay. We can touch base then if you like and see how midway through the season is going. But that sounds anyway, great. Appreciate you having me on. Heck yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Alright, take care. Tip of the week. If you made it this far, you're a diehard Where to Hunt podcast listener and thank you. If you have made it this far and you haven't shared the podcast or giving us a rating or a review maybe you should go do that anyway uh tip of the week i'm just going to regurgitate um you know what shane had said which was basically preparation um there's a quote out there that i've heard from some mentors in my life which is chance favors the prepared mind by louis pasteur and there's definitely some truth to that quote and what shane said was basically look get some of these phone numbers for dog tracking um folks into your cell phone and pre-populated saved in your contacts list because there might be a chance that when you're hunting a remote location and you've lost a deer that you're tracking or you took a bad shot you want to call one of these guys right away to get their advice on whether or not they want to bring the dog or dogs in and so the tip of the week is to maybe do some of that research now in the off season, go to Google, go to Facebook, do the recommendations, go to some hunting groups on Facebook or Instagram. Um, obviously the, our podcast and um, the Cali Chronicles would be a great one to add specifically. Shane said, you know, just message my personal profile, Shane Simpson and, and get my information there. And so at the very minimum, having that stuff kind of keyed up, um, on your cell is is a really good idea one that i didn't think of uh and is a tip that i'm act I've, I've done it already i've done it in prep for this show so i now have that information on my phone i don't want to relive my dad's nightmare of you know wondering where the buck went that he shot the 15 pointer that could have been recorded as a pope and young that's mounted but took you know half a year to find and stumble upon you know um so any, anyway, that's, I guess, my advice. There's a, a bunch of subjective kind of opinions on to, uh, as to when to call 
someone make that call right away. Uh, getting your buddies fanning out over the grid system to try to find a deer works great. And most people would probably go that route thinking that a dog is really expensive. In this particular case, as you heard on this episode, it is not as expensive as you think. And a lot of these guys are willing to give their advice for free if you just give them a call. So that's the tip of the week. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I appreciate the listenership, the feedback, the participation. Unfortunately, no calls came in on today's show. So please continue to spread the word and share. We are live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook and YouTube to facilitate those calls so you can be part of the show because it is your show. I just do this stuff here. Anyway, thanks for uh, tuning in. Have a great day in Hunt Public.